Good morning. There's an old French fairy tale that goes something like this. There's two daughters. One was good, and the other daughter was bad. The good daughter was neglected by the mother, unjustly treated, unfairly treated, and despised. The evil daughter was the favorite of the mom. So as a result, one day, the mother sends the the, uh, good daughter out to go get water to bring back from the well. And when the daughter's down at this particular well, she goes to get some water, and an older woman there that's kind of crippled over comes over and asks her, says, you know, young lady, could you get me a drink? And she said, sure, I'd be glad to get you a drink. And she reaches down and she brings up some water and she gives it to the elderly woman. And the elderly woman, it turns out, it was a fairy that was disguised as an elderly woman. And she said, because of your kindness, every time you speak a word, I will give you a gift. And the gift will be each time that you speak anything of kindness, flowers or jewels would come out of your mouth. And so this young gal gets back to her house and she's all excited to tell her mother what just happened. And her mother begins to scold her and to mistreat her as she normally did. And instead of ridiculing her mom or insulting her mom, she spoke kind words. And as she spoke these kind words and as she asked for forgiveness for being late, all of a sudden out of her mouth come some roses, come some diamonds and other jewels. And her mom was astounded by all of this. And so she tells the other daughter, her favorite, the evil daughter, she says, I want you to have the same gift and I want you to go down to that well and look for the same woman. And the whole way down there, this lady, this young gal is just mumbling and grumbling how she doesn't want to do this, how demeaning it is, and how getting water for somebody else is beneath her, and she doesn't want to do anything that would be so demeaning. And so as she got there, there was this beautiful woman who was there waiting near the well, and she said, excuse me, young lady, would you care to get me a drink of water? And she said, you know what, get your own water. I'm not getting your water. I'm not going to do anything like that. And little did she know that this beautiful woman was the same fairy. And so as a result, she said, hey, you know what, because of the way you've treated me, I will curse you so that every time you open your mouth, out of your mouth will come snakes and toads. I love that story. (laughs) Do you like that story? I love that story. Why? Why do you like that story? I know it's early and you probably like it more later, maybe after lunch. but, um, (laughs) but, But the thing I love about that story is this. It's kind of like justice was served. There's something within us that likes when justice is served. And I'll, and I'll challenge you to consider this. Next time, go to a movie theater and look around the theater at the people that you're sitting there with. And as you look around, and I'll guarantee you, it doesn't matter what the color of skin a person has. It doesn't matter whether they're a Christian or Jew or an unbeliever. It doesn't matter whether they're educated or not. It doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor. There is one thing that I have found as you go to movie theaters, as you look at humanity around you, have you ever been in a theater where throughout the movie it seemed like evil was overcoming good and the bad guy was getting away with it? Have you ever been in one of those films? And at the end, boom, justice is served. Have you ever noticed how people just spontaneously break out in applause? You don't have to have an applause meter. You don't have to tell people, hey, good just overcame evil. They know that. They sense that. Within the heart of every one of us is a desire for good to overcome evil. And you don't even have to teach that to someone. There's a certain sense within each of us that we know whether something's fair or unfair. Hey, that's not fair. We hear that all the time with our children. That's not fair. Why do I have to do that? Why can't he or she do that? Remember the Apostle John. 
as uh, Jesus was giving instructions to him. And Peter looked over at Jesus and said, well, well, that's not fair that you're, you're calling me out like this. Do I love you? Do I love you? Do I love you? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And John's sitting over there and you're not saying anything to him. What about him? That's not fair. Why are you picking on me? There's a certain sense where we think we understand what's fair and unfair. And as we go through these things, we realize that, you know what, there's something about a, a happy ending that makes people smile. Have you ever been in a movie that wasn't a happy ending? And you walk out, you're like all depressed. Well, that stunk. That wasn't a happy ending at all. And you're all just, you know, you're depressed for like two or three days going, why did they do that to me? Because we all want a happy ending. We all expect a happy ending. We want good to triumph over evil. That's what I loved about, you know, reading comics as you grew up, those superhero comics. What was so great about them? Because good always kicked evil's butt in the end. I just love that. There's something about it that I enjoy. We like happy endings. We like Cinderella. We like Snow White. We like, you know, the fairy tales that have happy endings. And rightfully so. Because there's something within us, ingrained within us, that we want a certain sense of, hey, you know what? Good people are rewarded. They live happily ever after. And bad people are soundly punished. I like that. How many of you like that? I like that. How many of you are sociopaths that think that's a sickness? I mean, most people like that. You know, there are a handful of people that don't. I mean, think about this for a minute. There's something about, I mean, this whole thing like the Mike Tyson fight. Let me, let me draw that in here for a second. Just, just kind of bring that in here. Now, we, we were at a friend's house and we were watching the fight. I can't believe what I saw. In all my life of being around sports and athletics and all the stuff that I've seen, I can't believe what I saw. I can't believe a guy bit off a chunk of another guy's ear, spit it on the ground, and went back for another bite. <laughs> no, I, I can't believe that I saw that. But what, what's amazing to me is that as, you know, as a public opinion polls were taken, 70-80% of people said that guy should be banned from boxing for life. And I agree with them. But then there's also a minority of people over here that as he was leaving that night were still ch shouting and chanting out to him, way to go, champ. And it really was way to go, chomp, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but for the most part, there's a sense within the majority of people that, that that's not acceptable behavior. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong. And, and people wanted to see Holyfield win. Those people who want to see good triumph over evil wanted to see that. I know that I did. And as we look at all these things, you know, sometimes that's what we'd like to see. Life works out, justice is done, fairness reigns supreme, yay. But it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always work out that way. And that's a difficult thing because sometimes our lives are haunted by unfairness. And we need to deal with that a little bit because instead of justice, we're surrounded by injustice. You know, and instead of uh, deceit being exposed and dishonesty being revealed and truth being rewarded, uh, it doesn't happen that way. And we need to understand that and look at that. Some of us have been uh, racked by unfairness. Maybe you've had a mate who has left you. You were faithful. You were diligent about your duties. And that person said, I don't want to be married anymore. And they just walked out of your life. Maybe you've had, you know, a disease that has stolen the life of someone that you love, or at least taking the quality of life away that you thought that they deserved. Maybe there's an unfair situation taking place uh, if you're an athlete on the team that you play on, or if you're a student in the school that you go to. Maybe there's an unfair situation taking place at your workplace where you keep getting passed over for promotions and other people get them and you don't get them and you don't know why and it just doesn't seem fair. 
I think most of us at one time or another have been confronted by these unfair situations in life, and they've been very painful to say the least. Like what one British uh, commentator and a writer wrote concerning all this, he says, contrary to what might be expected, he says, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. He says, indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. In other words, if it were ever to be possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence by means of some drug or other medical mumbo-jumbo, he says the result would not be to make life delectable, but to make it too banal and trivial to be endurable. This is, of course, what this cross signifies, and it is the cross more than anything else that has called me inexorably to Christ. Interesting, isn't it? As true as that may be, there's still a certain sense of fear that each of us must confront, and it's a fear that, that has to do with the fear of suffering. I know very few people that I come in contact with in my life that don't have some type of fear of suffering. We don't like to suffer. When we suffer, we ask why, and why me, and why now, and why am I going through this? And some of us may relate to the woman who wrote this, Lord, I'm drowning. I'm drowning in a sea of perplexity, and waves of confusion, they crash over me, and I'm too weak to shout for help. He goes, either quiet the waves or lift me above them. It's too late to learn how to swim. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation or find yourself there today, but in 1 Peter in chapter 3, in our study, as we look at this, there is hope to be found that goes beyond fear. A hope that goes beyond fear. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in a few verses that we'll have time to look at this morning, we're going to see that you know, there is some encouragement, some hope to be found for those of us who fear suffering, for those of us who fear suffering unjustly. For those of us who fear being mistreated or, you know, treated poorly by the world around us. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, we start with verse 13, we read this. We read, And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and with reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. In this passage, we're going to get some insight as to what it means to have hope beyond the fear of suffering, hope beyond the fear of being mistreated. And the problem that we have as we go through this in, the, in Hebrew, and there's uh, 12 Hebrew and 21 Greek words that have to do with the thought that we're looking at and as a whole thought of suffering. We see words like to suffer, to endure suffering, suffering, distress, anguish, pain, to cause pain, to be distressed, hard-pressed, to torment, to permit, to leave, or to let alone. Suffering is a huge topic and subject in the Bible. God has a lot to say about suffering. And as we go through this, we need to recognize that suffering is mental distress, which may or may not have any physical pain. 
So as we consider this whole idea of suffering, I, I believe that God gives us some insight into the very difficult question, and that's this. You know what? Why do we have to suffer? You know, why do we have to suffer? Or more importantly, and sometimes a little more direct, it's this. Hey, uh, God, I, I don't really care about why everybody else has to suffer. Right about now, all I care about is why am I suffering? And we make it a little more personal. Why am I suffering? And as we do a quick study of the Bible, we realize that there are six reasons that we may suffer. And I just want to go through them quickly because this isn't what we're here to discuss necessarily all of them. But I'd like to share with you a few of them. Number one, God says that the reason people suffer is because they're experiencing judgment for their actions. There's a judgmental suffering that occurs when we do that which is wrong before God. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, we see that Adam and Eve experienced suffering because they rebelled against God. God told them not to do something. They said, we're going to do it anyway. And as a result, God said, hey, you know, don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. I'm not mocked by what you're doing. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. There's a universal principle here that, you know what? What you sow, you're going to reap. Now, we don't know what season it is. We don't know when it's going to take place. But God guarantees you that if you do what's wrong before God, there's going to be a price to be paid. That's called judgmental suffering. What's interesting is, and as I was doing this word study, the same word was used as, uh, as Pilate's wife came to Pilate the day that Pilate was going to, to uh, conduct the trial of Jesus Christ. And she came to Pilate and said this, Whatever you do, don't do any harm to this man, because last night in a dream I suffered because of him. Isn't that interesting? There was a certain sense of judgmental suffering that was occurring as a pre-warning to Pilate's wife to warn Pilate that, hey, this guy, this man is innocent. And God tormented her in a dream as a result of judgment of what was about to take place. I thought that was interesting. The sec second type of suffering is emphatic suffering. And that is simply this. Have you ever hurt because someone else hurt? That's emphatic suffering. That's a book of Romans that says that we're to weep with those who weep that we're to mourn with those who mourn. We're going to suffer if friends or close people next to us or, or people that we love are hurting. We hurt with them. There's many times in our life where we have been in a situation where people were hurting and you couldn't help but hurt with them. Called to a friend's house whose husband was having an affair and it all hit the fan and you come and you go there and you see the tears and the crying and all the pain and the anguish and you hurt with them. It breaks your heart because you see what destruction takes place when sin enters into a life. And it was devastating. I've been to a hospital for a premature baby that was born two pounds and some ounces and you look at this little child and, and, and in this particular case, this little boy that was born and her, his dad was a professional athlete and he was a 300 and some pound guy and the baby fit in the palm of his hand. And you weep with, with tears because you know what they're going through. And that's emphatic suffering. And we're called to do that. We're called to suffer and to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. And there's a suffering that comes along with that. We feel with them. The Bible says there's a vicarious suffering. And that is when somebody suffers and takes the place of the penalty that rightly went to someone else. Jesus suffered for us and for our sins. He took our place on the cross and suffered for us. That's called vicarious suffering. He's suffering not because he did anything wrong, because the Bible says he hasn't. That in him he knew no sin. There was no sin in Jesus Christ. He didn't suffer because he deserved to suffer. He chose to suffer because we deserve to suffer. And he took our place. 
the closest we can come to anything like that is maybe as you were growing up or maybe even as an adult, you took the hit for somebody else who did something wrong and because of loyalty, because of whatever, some type of code in your life, you said, I wasn't going to tell, I wasn't going to rat, I wasn't going to tell who it was, but I'll take the hit. And you suffered because of them. Maybe you were kicked off a team or maybe you were suspended from school or maybe you lost a job because you took the hit for somebody else. You suffered because somebody else deserved to suffer, but you chose to take that suffering upon yourself. It's not even close to what Jesus did, but maybe it's close enough that we can understand it. The fourth type of suffering is called testimonial suffering. And we're going to deal with that in a minute. But this is a kind of suffering that occurs when we want to live a Christ-like life when we want to do what's right before God, we follow Him, and as a result, we suffer and pay a price because people around us don't like what we're doing. And that's a testimonial suffering, and that's what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians. Hey, he was in jail, he was in prison because he was suffering for what? Doing what the right thing was. I did what was right, and I suffered for it. Joseph in Potiphar's prison, he did what was right, and he suffered for it. Why? Because he wanted to do what was right before God. Number five is called preventive suffering. That's the kind of pain that we experience that keeps us from doing the same thing again. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever got hurt to the point where you become defensive to where I'm not going to do that again because the last time I did that, that hurt? Well, that's preventive suffering, and that's a good suffering. Nothing wrong with that. And then number six is educational suffering. Turn back for a minute to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 gives us some insight into this whole idea of educational suffering. It's fascinating as we go through this how often we ask ourselves, boy, you know what, why am I suffering? And God gives a whole bunch of good reasons for it. But in the, uh, Romans chapter 5, look at verse 3. I like this because it says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. We also exult when we're going through tough times, you know, when we're suffering. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character gives us hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Isn't that great? God is more concerned not with our comfort, but with our character. And oftentimes He uses suffering to bring about perseverance so that as we persevere in a situation, hey, we realize that, you know what, we develop character, and as we develop character, there is hope because there's hope that goes beyond the fear of suffering because we see God's hand in it, and there's a good reason, and there's a purpose for all of it, and boy, that's good stuff. But somehow or another, we have to see that God's hand's in it, and that's what we're going to take a look at as we go through this. Louis Boyer said that Christianity offers the possibility of making suffering like death itself fruitful. C.S. Lewis, in his letters to Malcolm, wrote this as he looked back on his life. He said, The most real good that has been done me in this life has, been, has involved suffering. He goes on to say that God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts clearly in our pain. Interesting. As we look at this passage back in 1 Peter chapter 3, we need to ask ourselves the question, Hey, God, what type of suffering is being presented here? Is it kind of suffering that we're talking about a judgmental suffering for doing that which is wrong? Is it an empathetic suffering that, you know, we're just going to relate to the suffering of another? Is it vicarious? Is it testimonial? Is it preventative? Is it educational? What kind of suffering are we talking about? And as we go through this, we'll begin to realize that, you know what? The suffering that Peter's referring to here is a suffering specifically that we will experience as a result of doing what is right before God. This is what's called testimonial suffering. We will suffer because we're doing what is right. And we have to go through this and, and really grasp hold of this because I think that it's going to be a very important 
principle that each of us need to somehow or another incorporate into our life. Because as our nation is turning more and more away from God, there's going to be a point in time where each of us are going to suffer more for doing what is right than we will for doing what is wrong. And it's important that we grasp this truth now. And it's the same truth that Peter was trying to get across to the people that he originally wrote to. These were people who were sojourners. They were dispersed. They were suffering. They were being persecuted. And really what this was was a pep talk to say and encourage them, hey, you know what? You're going to suffer, but that's okay. It's part of God's plan. Keep on doing the right thing and don't worry about it because you're not suffering because God's judging you for something that you did wrong. You're not suffering vicariously. You're not suffering uh, you know, in any other way other than the fact that you're going to suffer for doing what's right. And there's a sense within us, that fairness sense, that says, well, that's not fair. That doesn't, that doesn't, I can't be suffering for doing what's right. That's not fair. And so we struggle with this, and then we begin to question what we're doing, and then we're confused about whether or not what we're doing is right. So as we look at this, we need to realize that, hey, you know what? This is what he's going to talk about. Now, as we look at this, he's going to give us five suggestions as to how to, uh, to live in a world that is unfair, that's unjust, that's inequitable, and find hope beyond the fear of suffering. But, but before we do that, he lays out a general principle and back in 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Look at what he says. He says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? You got that? Very simple. He said, now, who's going to harm you if you are passionate and zealous for doing what is good? He goes, the majority of time in this life, you're going to be rewarded for it. Who's going to hurt you for that? No one's going to harm you for that. No one's going to fault you for that. And in fact, it's a general principle that says something like this. If you work hard and you're conscientious and, and you do your job well, then the majority of the time, most of the time, you're going to find a place of employment. Now, there may be a glitch. You may get let go. There may be a turn, turn down in the economy. But, the, but for the most part, the truth is this. Good people will find a place to work. And that type of individual, that, that referral network or that networking process will go out and people will hear about, hey, do you know so-and-so is looking for a job? Man, he's a great employee or she's a great employee. And there's an opportunity to pick somebody up as a good worker. There was a glitch in what they were doing, whatever. And they're going to they're gonna end up finding a place to work. If you do what's right, no one's going to harm you. For the most part. Financially, if you live by a budget, you don't get in debt, you pay your bills, you're content, then guess what? For the most part, you're not going to experience financial difficulties that people who are discontent face, that go into debt face, that have a glitch and, and, and maybe not even the greatest employees and they lose their job and then all this stuff starts to fall around you. If you study hard, for the most part, you should get pretty good grades. If you work hard and you have a good attitude and you're an athlete, then you should get an opportunity somewhere along the line to demonstrate what you can do. If nothing else, you at least make the team. Now, you may be on a team of all superstars and maybe you won't get to play, but you'll at least get rewarded with a place on the team. Every team needs someone like that. So the point that he's making is this. Hey, you know what? For the most part, no one's going to hurt you if you do what's good. If you're there to help others, when you need help, People will be there to help you. That's just the way that it is. And as we go through this, now, the interesting thing is, if you do what's right, you'll usually stay out of trouble. Now, here's an interesting thing. In verse 14, we read this. But, but meaning what? Contrasting what he just said. But, you know what? There may be times in an unfair world and in an inequitable world in an unjust world, that guess what? You may suffer anyway. Now look at this phrase here. 
But even if you should suffer, it's an interesting phrase. And let me explain to you why it's interesting. Because in the Greek text, we have a problem with the word if. It says, but even if you should suffer. And the reason I say there's a problem with it, because as you read this at first glance, you don't always really appreciate what's being said until it's explained. And I say this. There's four conditions where the word if is used, or the translated word that we get if is used, and you need to understand what they are. First one is this. The first condition is this. If, assuming that something is true. For example, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, Satan said to him, If you are the Son of God, then you do this. Now, he wasn't saying if it may be true or if it may not be true. What he was saying was, if and since it, it is so. Since you are the Son of God, then go ahead and do this. That was the first condition. The second condition is one, a second class, that assumes something is not true. And in Galatians 1.10, the Apostle Paul said this, If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. He's saying, if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be serving Christ. So what he's saying was, if, and it's not true in this particular case. The third condition, as we look at this, means, well, maybe it's true and maybe it isn't true. And that's what we see happening in verse 13. See, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Hey, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not true. Sometimes you can do the right thing and people still want to hurt you anyway. But for the most part, it can be or can't be. I don't know. We have to depend on the situation. Let's look at it. Now, the fourth condition is the condition that we find here in verse 14. And know what's wonderful about it is it's hardly ever used in the Bible. And that condition is so rare that we hardly ever see it. And basically what he's saying in this particular case is this. It is unlikely that you should suffer for doing what is right. But in the event that you do, I want to talk to you. See, it all makes sense now. It's unlikely that you and I will suffer for doing what is right. But on that very, very rare occasion, when we suffer for doing what is right, I got some stuff I got to share with you. Isn't that great? Because the majority of us will never suffer this way. And I don't know about you, but I have hope beyond fear of suffering because God says that this rarely ever happens to anybody. But in the very rare event that it does, and as you go through that list, you know, am I suffering because I'm suffering God's judgment? Am I suffering because I'm empathetic and suffering because somebody else is hurting? Am I suffering because, you know what, am I suffering because I'm doing what's right and, you know, I'm being victimized for doing the right thing? That's who he's talking to right now. So as we look at this, let me share a few things with you, and uh, we'll probably only get to share a couple of them today, and we'll do the rest of them next time. But the first one is this. He says this. But even if you suffer for what is right, in the unlikely event that you are suffering for doing the right thing, not that it's not impossible, but it's very rare, but in the unlikely event that you're suffering for doing the right thing, look what he says. You're blessed. Oh, let's stop and dwell on that for a minute. Now, I'm going to be up front with you. When I'm suffering, the last thing I say is, whoopee, look how blessed I am. I, 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 you know, I haven't got quite to that point yet. Uh, I'm learning and growing and I'm listening and I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, hey, but you know what? That's kind of interesting. How many of you, the last time that you were suffering for doing what was right, said, yes, this is so great. Do you realize how great this is? This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Let me tell you about it. This is great. I'm suffering for doing the right thing. <laughs> When's the last time anybody said that? I guarantee you, you see somebody that says that at the office, they're going to stand out. 
this is great. I'm being benched just because I'm being the right kind of guy. This is great. Look at me sitting way down here by myself. No one else wants to be near me. This is great. This is great. Oh, this is so great. No, it's usually, oh, I don't understand why no one likes me. I don't understand why people are picking on me. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't understand what I did. Well, usually, I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Now, I'm just glad that as we go through the Bible, we realize that this is a pretty continuous thought that God has. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, if you want to flip back that a book, you'll see what he's talking about. But this is pretty interesting, and let me go through it because I love this. It makes a lot of sense. He goes, Consider it all joy. Consider it a great blessing. Consider this a great experience. Consider this putting you in very unique company with the people of God. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Consider it all joy. Now, you know how we can consider joy when we go through difficult times of suffering? We can consider it joy if you know it's not because of something stupid you did. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, you know what? When I'm punished for doing what's wrong before God and I'm, I'm experiencing, well, I'm reaping what I've sown, I don't really consider that all joy because I know the only reason I'm going through it is because of my own mistake, my own uh, rebellion against God, uh, my own stupidity. There's not many people that you know. I mean, when you, when you discipline your child and that child is, is uh, grounded or punished in some way, uh, they sit around the house saying, you know, this is great. I'm glad you love me so much. I'm glad I'm going through this. Usually they sit around and sulk and mope and groan. Why? Because they know that, you know what? I don't have to be sitting here if I wasn't so stupid sometimes. I could be using the phone if I wasn't so stupid. If I didn't do the wrong thing. Well, see, I can consider it all joy when I face various trials knowing what? That, hey, I didn't do anything to deserve this. God has chosen to allow this to happen in my life for His purposes. And as we go through that, it changes our whole attitude. Think about who He's writing to. These people, these people that Peter are writing to, they were kicked out of their homes. They were being persecuted. They were from the diaspora. They were getting scattered all over the place. They lost their inheritance. They lost everything. And they were being scattered all over the place. And He was telling them, Hey, listen, you're blessed. And I can hear some of us thinking to ourselves, you're nuts. I don't feel it. But it's true. I don't care what you feel. Listen to what Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men insult you or people insult you. They persecute you. They falsely say all kind of evil against you. Why? Because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isn't that great? You heard what he's saying? If you are being persecuted for taking a stand as a Christian in your workplace, in your, in, your, in your business, in your home, with your family, on a team, in school, in your community, if you're being persecuted simply because you want to obey Jesus Christ and follow Him, He says you are blessed. What a great opportunity and experience it is for us to be persecuted for doing the right thing. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Most of us our whole life have suffered because we did the wrong thing. And so now he's saying, hey, blessed are you if you're suffering for doing the right thing. You are in elite company. Read Hebrews chapter 11 sometime if you don't believe me. 
It's exactly what Jesus said. Look, they persecuted the prophets. Read Hebrews 11. They were persecuted for what? For doing right. They were persecuted and killed for telling the truth. They were persecuted because they did what was right before God. And you know what he says? We are blessed. Wow. Now let's be real for a second. Some of you have parents or children or a boss or a teacher or a coach or a neighbor who hates you because you do what's right before God. Because you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Some of us are being set up by people around us who want to hurt us just so somehow or another they can disqualify the testimony of Jesus Christ in your life. That's the real world that we live in. And I want to encourage you to understand what the Word of God is saying. He's saying to you and I who are going through that, you are blessed by God. You're blessed. My son plays on a high school baseball team. And I know it, and it doesn't even have to be said, that a coach that he has is hating him, hating me through him. I know it. And I'll tell you how I know it. But eight years ago, we had a thing here that we used to do for high school kids called The Door. All high school kids from the area would come on Friday night when football was going on. They'd have a video, and they would highlight a different high school. And it was a great program. Brought a whole bunch of people in. It was great. Well, at the time, I was working with the Rams, and I had a couple of guys come with me. And I interviewed them uh, as far as their faith in Jesus Christ is concerned. And this particular night, it was taped, and I don't even know who taped this, uh, but it was on TV on a regular basis. Well, one night, this guy was flipping through the channels, and he flipped it, and he saw me, and he stayed, and he watched it for a while. And every time he would see me after that, he would ask me, he would call me Jim Baker, and he would call me other derogatory televangelist-type names, and he had asked me, you know, hey, you still doing your tele- televangelism stuff? And you still doing this? You still doing that? And, and I know where he's coming from. And I know what he's trying to say. And I smile and I laugh. And, you know, we try to have a good time through all that. But I know what he's doing. And now it's become more obvious in how he's treating my son. I know exactly what he's doing. And I want to be honest with you. Until I sat down and studied and looked at what God had to say, I wasn't feeling very blessed by what's going on. In fact, I would like to return the same blessing that I felt (laughs) to him. And frankly, I know I can whoop him. (laughs) And in Jesus' name, I'll go your teeth. (laughs) See if I get a healing ministry. (laughs) But, uh, but then, you know, I stop and I look at this and I realize that, you know what? We don't have to sit silently while the world dumps on us. We don't have to sit there and take it necessarily. And how do you counsel your son or your daughter or someone that's going through what they're going through? And what I said to my son was, I said, you know what, when no one else is around, why don't you go take that coach to the side and ask him if you've done something that has upset him? Have I done something wrong? Am I 
practicing hard enough? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what I'm told to do when I'm told to do it? I mean, am I exemplifying the kind of attitude that you want to see? What is it exactly that I've done? Because it's pretty obvious that you're jerking me around. See, and we can approach people on that type of basis without an audience, with nobody else around, without trying to win and put somebody else down in front of other people. If you're having that same problem at work, you can take that boss aside and say, I'm sorry, but it's obvious that I've done something to offend you. Is there something that we need to discuss and to talk about? And is there something that I need to do that's different than what I'm doing now? Because I'd really like to get along. If we're going to work together, I'd really like to get along. I want to respect your position of authority. And what a great way to disarm somebody. A gentle answer turns away wrath. What a way to disarm those people around us. To at least be able to have access into their life to where we can have a conversation with them and some communication. And I'll explain to you next time we get together why that's so important. Because what God is going to do through these situations, he's going to open the door to have access to that person's life in a very unique way. Now, I'll guarantee you, if you want to seek revenge, if you want to return insult for insult, if you want to play that game with them, that it's going to go on and on and on until somebody gets hurt. Bad. But if you step back and say, okay, we need to resolve this. Now, you know what? He may say, I, I don't have a problem. You know, I just don't think you're good enough to play. And leave it at that. And that's okay. But at least it was dealt with, it was confronted, and uh, that's the way that it is. And we can do it in a positive way, with a positive attitude, respecting authority. And then the other thing that we need to look at is this. You know what? But we need to keep doing what's right in the meantime. You just keep doing what's right and be committed to do what's right. And the rest of this section, as we look at it, will help us to understand how to take these rare times when we are treated and mistreated, unjustly treated, for doing what it's right, and turn them into a great opportunity to reach people with the love and the compassion that we found in Jesus Christ. You don't want to miss this next week, because I'll tell you right now, this will change your life. It has already started to change my life. And just this one point alone, when I am persecuted for doing what's right before God, Jesus Christ said, you are blessed and rejoice and be glad because one day in heaven, your reward is going to be great. Wow. That's good stuff. Not much, but it's a start. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time to be together. We thank you for your word. God, I just pray right now for those of us who are suffering because for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of doing what is right, and we're confused about the outcome, and our sense of justice is skewed somehow, that you'll remind us that there are going to be times in our life when it is your will that we should suffer for doing what's right. God, help us to trust you, to believe you, and to use it as an opportunity to somehow or another penetrate the lives of people around us to where mouths will drop open and wonder, why don't we want to get even? Why don't we want to insult in return? Why don't we just want to punch somebody in the face. And God, we thank you for your self-control that you give us. We thank you for the love that you've demonstrated to us. And yet, while we're sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. God, we want to be used by you in a very unique way to impact the lives of people around us. People that we don't think deserve it, but you certainly do. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.